You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I am Gary Byron. Good to see you there, my friend. How hey are you? Hey there, Gary. Pretty good. How you doing? Good. I can't, you know, I got to move my mic. My, I got. I like to look at you as we're talking. Of course. You know? All right. Of course. Boy, a lot can change in one week, huh? <laughs> Things have been crazy. Things have been crazy. So let me ask you, and I think this is the obvious question. I mean, we all know what happened out in California with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, um, and, and Signature Bank in yep. New York. There's, I think, yep. three three banks total. But listen, I, I, I'm also not into s- scaring people, neither. These are tech uh, banks, right? They this had is mainly tech exposure, yeah. um, startup exposure, and I've heard crypto as well, which is high risk yeah, exposure is. too. So, yeah, I've just the more the story comes out, the more you find, and it's like SVB didn't even have a risk manager for the last couple weeks. The CEO was selling his stock the last couple weeks. Yeah, that's lots of weird, a lot of answers, a lot of manipulation going on. You know, not good. What does this mean though for the typical viewer of this or listener of this, and who are who's looking to get a mortgage? How are banks treating what happened to Silicon Valley and affecting mortgages? What I've seen happen is that a lot of consumers and businesses, too, have been taking their money out of the smaller local regional banks and credit unions and moving that to the big dogs, the, the top banks, the Wells Fargo's, the Chase, the Bank of America's, because there's this idea right now that the smaller banks are more vulnerable than the big dogs. They have more capital. They have more pull with the government, that sort of thing. Although the government obviously did step in to help the depositors of those banks that failed, there's just an idea, you know, a flight to safety, right? The safety is with the bigger name. But what's happened, what does that mean for a consumer, a a home buyer, homeowner? What we've seen is the rates had been on this upward trajectory for the last month, and all of a sudden they, they went down significantly like in the last week since this all came out. They've gone down considerably. I'm talking about like about a quarter to a half a point, depending on the loan program, in rate in one week. That's unheard of. I mean, it's happened in 08. It happened in 2020 with the pandemic. It's happening again again now when we see such a huge fluctuation, so much volatility in the day to day. So like even more now than ever, who you work with matters because your interest rate could literally change from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m the same day, and it could fluctuate by a quarter, an eighth, just of when your mortgage advisor locks you in. So like I use advisory services, MBS Highway, Barry Habib, you know, some really, really good minds that know this stuff better than anyone that are advising me, which I'm passing that advice to my clients of when to lock in to make sure that we capture these great rates on the days that we can, because literally you can wake up one day and the rates can be a quarter point higher in one day change from that previous day. And if you're not locked in, that matters. So if you're a home buyer, if you're a homeowner refinancing, getting a new loan, like get that rate locked in now while you can. We don't know how long this is going to last, but it's good for now. All right. So, but keep in mind, if you, even if you have a credit union or a small bank, you're, you're, guaranteed, you're guaranteed up to $250,000 through FDIC. Yes, yeah. you are. And even more now that the banks or the government stepped in, right? Janet Yellen stepped in with the Fed and said, hey, 
we are going to actually backstop even more than 250000 for these specific banks. Uh, for these credit or for these depositors that had their money there. But I agree with you, you know, 250,000 is where it's at. That's the FDIC insurance. That's the way it's been. I think that should be adjusted for inflation for sure, because it hasn't changed in how long, right? But the idea really, I think what we can all learn from this debacle is, especially if you're a consumer or a small business owner, don't have more than 250 grand in one bank account. If you've got a million in cash, open up a few different bank accounts. There's also some loopholes with creating trusts and some other things where you can be insured for a lot more than that. So you're not saying take your money out of the bank? Absolutely not. I didn't take any money out anywhere, and I don't recommend that to anyone. There just isn't a – there's not a situation where we need to do that. It's very isolated. And the fact that the government stepped in, like I want to pat them on the back, which I don't do often, especially (laughs) on this show, but like for them to step in over the weekend and say we're going to make sure that everyone's made whole, we're going to make sure that these deposits – are honored and that these companies, many small businesses and startups can meet payroll, can do what they need to do, can pay their bills, that restores confidence in the banking system. And that's huge because I think had they not done that, we would have seen a potential run Run on on the the banks. banks. We would have seen more issues, problems. This would have trickled down. I believe it would have caused even lower rates than we're seeing right now, but it's because of the contagion, because of the negativity, because of all the pessimism going on. Whereas now it's not great, but they've kind of, you know, put the backstop on that. So it shouldn't spread, right? All right. So before we go to the, you know, the topic of today's yeah. show, um, you had mentioned that it did have a pot, you know, <laughs> if there's any silver lining in something bad, it, it brought the interest rates on mortgages yes. down. But now with the Fed backing it, would you, you know, think it'll go back up? Within well, a- so. That's already factored in with what the Fed did as far as saying that they're going to make depositors whole. That's already been factored in. However, the part that hasn't been yet is now there's a very cloudy outlook of the Fed meeting coming up in a few weeks. Okay, Mm -hmm. the Fed's going to do their next meeting. They've been very tough on they're going to be raising rates to a certain level. And they've been very aggressive with that. And that's what's been causing rates to go up up until literally the last week. Right. So. Now it's cloudy because now that all this new stuff is coming to play, like, do they keep raising rates? Because the fact that they raised so quickly so much is what caused Silicon Valley Bank to go under. The fact that they raised it so quick is what caused Signature Bank. So the fact that they're going to say, we don't care, we're going to keep raising means more banks could go under because they have that exposure to these treasuries. Now, if they say that they understand and their commentary is that they understand that what they're doing is harming the economy and harming these banks and that they're going to either stop raising the rates and just pause or maybe they only raise a quarter instead of a half a point. Just a few weeks ago, there was almost a guarantee, a lock on a half a point raise. Now it's questionable. Are they even going to do a quarter? Because their raising of the rates has caused this issue in the economy, you see? So it's one of those scenarios I mentioned a minute ago. We might wake up and find out that the interest rates are significantly higher based on the commentary that the Fed makes. It usually can take you know, a day or so for all the information to be digested that the Fed talks about when they do their announcement. So just be ready. I'm advising my clients that are under contract right now, lock in right now. Like, take this as a gift. If the rates go down, there's float down options. We can do a refi down the road. But do not sit there and get greedy and think it's going to keep getting better. Because every time we've seen this in the last several months, 
it's just like an elastic band. It goes right back, and you're wishing that you locked in when you could. Well, you stole my next question. Is that what are you recommending your clients? A bird in the hand is better than t- one in the hand is better than two in the bush. That never is more true than right now with mortgage rates. Again, who you work with matters. Like monitoring this stuff matters, and I'm shocked to see like mortgage originators even those that have been in the business a couple years they don't even know what's going on with this they're not tracking this they don't have advisories it's basically like we'll lock you in when we lock you in but there's got to be a strategy behind it now more than ever for sure you know what can a quarter of a percentage how could that impact the mortgage depending on the mortgage amount that could be like i would say 20 30 dollars right, on say, a low end let's say it's uh i don't know a three hundred thousand dollars. i would i would guesstimate without a calculator here a quarter of probably a, percent. a quarter of a percent i'm gonna say between like 50 and 70 dollars difference depending on the exact Monthly. rate and a half a percent yes. could be 150 bucks no a half a percent 50 to yeah 50 to 75 dollars on a quarter of a percent okay. Definitely a hundred plus on a half a percent, but that's why again, if you locked in last Thursday, you might be sitting at say a seven percent rate. Somebody locked in, you know, thurs this Thursday, this past Thursday here, and it's like they're getting a mortgage payment that could be a hundred to two hundred dollars less than you on the same exact loan because they had that strategy. But nobody knew this was going to happen, right? It's one of these black swan events like COVID or anything else where you wake up and something changes and the whole outlook changes. So here we are, right? Yeah. So first-time home buyers, you know, those are the ones that I think are most affected by this, Gary, because of the fact that their budgets are tight. So that difference of $50, $75, $100 in mortgage payment can be the difference between qualifying for the dream home or maybe having to settle for something a little bit less, right? So the most common thing that I get asked right now by first-time buyers, even move-up buyers, is like, what is the mortgage process now? What do I have to go through to get that loan from pre-approval to closing? Because it has changed. It has shifted. Technology's played a part. And it's different now than it's been. So in today's episode, that's really what I want to dive into. And this is the right episode for those that really want to get clarity on what is that mortgage process? Maybe it's cloudy in their head. What do I need to do from the time that I say I want to buy a home all the way to getting the keys into my hand? And we're going to break that down. All right. So then what are the main stages of like take us to a step by step Main stages? Yeah. So, yeah, there are definitely some main stages through the process. The first one's going to be the pre-approval. That's the first step of buying a home without a doubt is that pre-approval that involves Filling out a questionnaire or talking with a mortgage loan officer about your financial situation, what you're looking to do, and then providing them with documentation to verify your income, your assets, everything that you've got going on uh, will run your credit, that sort of thing. Then we're going to provide an estimate, an estimate of how much you can qualify for, how much you can borrow, how much money you're going to need, and if you have enough now or if there's maybe some work you need to do to get that credit up or get your down payment where it needs to be. So once that's completed, then you're going to go off and you're going to work with your realtor Mm -hmm. on finding a house, right? From there, the loan application is the next step. So once we know what address that you're buying, the, the actual property that you're purchasing, we know the exact purchase price and all the particulars, then we go to the loan application. That's where the rubber meets the road because that's when we're going to submit the formal application and get any supporting documents that we haven't already got to button it up for underwriting. Okay. Okay. Then we're going to actually move the file into processing. So processing is when we're going to verify all the information. Depending on the company you're dealing with, there may be a specific person like a loan processor that will look through and make sure that every single piece of information that needs to be 
verified has been done. And if not, they're going to reach out to you to say, hey, we need this, this, and this. Then once they're done with it, they're going to then send the file to underwriting. Underwriting is when an employee of the bank or lender you're dealing with at that point double verifies that the loan officer had the right income. The processor did their job. And now the underwriter is kind of the final check and balance to make sure that if they said you make 60000 a year, we have everything to back up that you make that amount and all those other numbers that we need. So from there, the underwriter is going to, they're going to come back to the loan officer or processor and say, hey, I need these couple items. We're missing these things, or I need this information in order to do the final approval on the loan. And then you're going to work with your loan officer or processor to get them that info or documents. And then at that point, the underwriter is going to do their final check, their final review. And then they're going to issue the final approval, the clear to close. And that clear to close is when you can schedule your closing, you can get all your final numbers, you can get your funds transferred over to where they need to go for your closing, down payment, all that. And then you can actually buy your home or get the keys to your home. So I know it sounds like a lot, but these are the main milestones. This is why you want to have someone holding your hand through the process to make sure that every one of these things gets done quickly and properly. I mean, those are the main stages. Are, what about, are you taking us through key milestones involved in the processing of a mortgage? Okay, or? so the milestones. Well, you're kind of, they're, they're, they're different, different. They are yeah. different. So the milestones are what these points that we need to hit during the process. So the first one's going to be submitting that loan application and the required documents. That's the first big milestone in the process because there's people all the time that'll do a questionnaire, but they'll never submit their documents. They're just not serious. I don't do pre-approvals nowadays without getting all the documents. It's just there's too much at risk with the current market. There's too much competition right now to risk possibly missing something or pre-approving you for an amount you couldn't have gotten. Or the other way, people tell me, hey, this is how much I make. Then I verify it. They make more. So we can pre-approve them for more, you see? So that's big first milestone. Next thing is once you're under contract, we're going to need to order the title search and order the appraisal on the property. Those are two big milestones, two big items that are typically done around the same time because we got to make sure that the property you're buying doesn't have liens on it or a clouded title. We also have to make sure that the house you're buying is worth what you're paying for it, right? And Mm. if it's not, you want to know that as soon as possible. You need to renegotiate change the price, get seller concessions. There's a lot of ways to handle it, but we need to make sure that we know what that property's worth, right? So that's the appraisal piece. Next thing is going to be the underwriting. We talked about verifying all that information, having a third party verify, make sure that everything's accurate, clearing any conditions. That's going to make sure that those final questions from the underwriter are answered, then doing a final commitment letter. So in most contracts, there's a part that talks about when you need to have your final mortgage approval or your mortgage commitment, loan commitment. It's usually going to be a couple weeks before the closing. That's when we know your loan is buttoned up and ready to go. All final contingencies have been handled. Everything's set with the underwriter, and we're ready to rock and schedule your closing. That's the loan commitment, so that's a huge milestone. And, of course, the final milestone, doing the closing documents and actually going and signing the paperwork to do your closing and get the keys. So hopefully that gives you some more clarity on those specific milestones that you need to hit through the process. If any one of these is missed, you won't be able to buy your home. How long does it typically take? And and can there be any, you know, I don't know, speed bumps along the way that could, I don't know, like make it longer? Definitely. So this is where you know, who you work with is going to really change this because I've heard of certain local or regional banks that can take like 60 to 90 days to process a loan application. Then you hear of 
mortgage bankers or brokers doing loans in like less than 10, 15 business days. I will tell you that industry-wide, the average time to process a mortgage from start to finish is between 30 and 60 days. That's the industry-wide average. I'm happy to say I'm on the low end. We're close to 30 days, sometimes even less on most of mine. Um, The 60 days is when issues happen to come up, right? So what types of issues can come up are going to be like, if there's two appraisals needed, certain types of loans, we need to get two appraisals. Sometimes there'll be repairs that need to get done. That can take time depending on those repairs. So you might be ready to close, but there are certain repairs. The first appraiser went out and said, hey, these repairs have to get done. I've been in situations where I've sat there for a week or two waiting on repairs to get made. As you would imagine, if it's major repairs, you got to get contractors involved, quotes, estimates, it can add quite a bit of time, oh, right? Yeah. So that's where you more see the 60-day timeline is when there's those repairs, the second appraisals, that sort of thing. A big one that a lot of people don't factor in, I definitely do because I have so much experience with it, is self-employed. When we're using your tax returns to get a mortgage, we have to validate those tax returns with the IRS. Something that happened really from, I'd say, like 2021 into 2022, really common thing that happened was there was so much loan volume going on, the IRS was backed up literally four to six weeks at points. So there were people trying to close on homes that were self-employed, and we couldn't validate their tax returns with the IRS, and they were waiting to close on their home specifically for that. And they could have been waiting for weeks. Now, luckily, we found a workaround very early. Like when that happened, I went to underwriting managers and found workarounds we, we were able to do to make it so people could close. But that was me and my company. That doesn't mean that you know, other companies did that. I know many didn't and closings were delayed. There are even certain circumstances where people didn't close at all because of those delays. So the IRS is really a big one, those delays there. Is there a big difference in the time to close a mortgage in comparison to, let's say, closing a a refinance? Let's yes, say? So a home purchase versus a refi. Yeah, like That's a refi. what you yeah. mean. Yes. So the processing of a home purchase typically does take longer than a refi because there's additional parties involved. That's the biggest thing, I would say. Um, is there so many people that have to be involved in the home purchase. You've got a buyer's agent and a seller's agent. Then you've got the current homeowner, the seller who needs to sell. You've got the buyer who's buying. Then you've got multiple attorneys. You've got the seller's attorney, the buyer's attorney. You've got home inspectors, appraisers. It's like all these people involved have to be all coordinated, right? The more people involved, it's like the game of telephone. Like The more it goes along, the more things get conjangled and just it's not a good scenario so that's really why i've seen in home purchases can be a lot longer because there's been circumstances where i'm ready to close the loan right now like we can close let's say next wednesday but then i tell the agent and it's like oh no the seller is having surgery next week they can't close for two weeks no ifs ands or buts about it they're out of commission they can't close for two weeks so now we're sitting there ready to close the buyer's ready to move in yet There's an issue with the seller. I've had scenarios, Gary, where a real estate attorney will be out of town. They're on vacation for the next three days, so we can't close. And realistically, if the seller wants to back out and say, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to sell the house. He's got a right to do that, right? No, they don't. If they sign the sales contract, they do not. You'll take them to court and win every day of the week on that. It's if the contract is breached that they can back out of the contract. There are certain dates on there that need to be adhered to. Specifically on my side as a mortgage lender, it's the mortgage commitment date and the closing date. So if I hit my mortgage commitment date and issue that mortgage commitment, and then the seller says, I don't want to sell the house, they're in breach of contract because the buyer did what they were supposed to do. They got their mortgage ready to go. So that's definitely big. Now, 
I want to focus for a second on the refi timelines because it's been a while since we dove into refis because obviously the market shifted a bit. Give me one second. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron, and you can check him out online at www.robgw.com. I'll give you that um, website, phone number, and email address more towards the end of the show. Go ahead. Yeah, so on the refinance topic versus the purchase, the refis can go a lot quicker. You already own the home. There's nobody else really involved. There's one attorney that's going to do your closing. There's an appraiser, and there's you as the homeowner. That's really it. There's no realtors involved. Typically, there's not going to be any home inspectors involved. Nothing like that. So it's a very streamlined process. Less people there. Also, refis have a much higher probability of getting an appraisal waiver, a property inspection waiver. Fannie Mae is doing some more enhancement to this. So I see this actually gaining steam in the next refi boom or over the next year or two. They're going to make it easier to get the refinance appraisal waivers. They're going to bring in more data. Because they figured you already went through it once, right? Well, yeah. So they have data on your property. It's not 100% of the time, but... You know, during the last refi boom, I would say 40 to 50% of my clients, conventional mortgage clients, were getting appraisal waivers. So we were able to speed these through the system. And in many cases, we could do these refis in two to three weeks max. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you literally two weeks from the loan application to the closing. And it's because of the property inspection waivers. It's because of the automated employment verifications, just some of the technology that we're using now that we didn't before. Um, And then, you know, going back to why the purchase has so much time entailed is renegotiation. What if they find an old title lien, right? From someone that owned the home years ago, an old mortgage that was paid off five years ago that never got recorded. This happens very often, way more often than you think. And that stuff can take days or weeks to fix. So that's why on the home purchase, there is a you know typically going to be a longer timeline because one of these many items I mentioned that could come up typically does come up, at least one of these, sometimes more, and that's going to cause a delay of a couple days to a couple weeks. So that's just the fact. How about some common mistakes uh, that can actually slow down the mortgage process? And, and, and let's take it a step further. Let's try to avoid them. Right, right. <laughs> a lot of mistakes, and I see the same ones over and over. So number one would be not bringing up, like just not being transparent on your loan application with your loan officer. If you had a bankruptcy recently, like tell us about it. If you owe child support, let's talk about it. If you're paying alimony or just if there's anything that's out of the ordinary, you want to really come clean with your finances. Pretty much every time we're going to find what you don't tell us about. And if we don't find it, the underwriter is going to find it. And by the time they find it, it, I'm not going to say it's too late, but we have to backtrack a little bit, right? So not being forthcoming or omitting information from your loan application or your conversation with your loan officer, huge mistake. And then not providing all the documentation up front. If we ask you for a bank statement, we need all pages. Don't white it out. Don't black it out. We need all pages. Uh, If we're asking for your tax return, we need all pages. If we're asking for a pay stub, don't just give us like the bottom half where part of it's cut off. Like we need complete and legible documentation. That's just a huge mistake people do is they'll take like a blurry photo and be like, this is what you get. It's not going to help you get a mortgage easily. So that's number one. Number two, really common, making large deposits or withdrawals from bank accounts during the loan process. So look, when we talk about large deposits, we're talking about depending on the loan program, 25 to 50% of your gross income is what they're looking at. So if you just won something somewhere or sold something somewhere, and then you go and put five grand in your bank account that day in cash. Well, 
They're going to ask what it's from. Even if it's from a check, it'll just say deposit five grand. The underwriter is going to say, what is this from? We need to document it. Okay. If you're just getting a a Venmo or a PayPal or something for 50 bucks, 80 bucks from a friend, probably going to be a non-issue. But I'm talking about large deposits. Again, a a large percentage of your take-home pay. That's a big one. Talk to your loan advisor about this stuff. Be like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this or I sold this. There's ways that we can tell you to document it. There's specific steps that you can take to make it way easier than if we have to backtrack later. Okay, but one big no, no is cash deposits like large cash deposits. So that's big. And then I would say the next one is changing jobs during the loan process. Um, changing jobs is big. Even if it's a lateral move in your company, you're going to get a pay raise. Just talk to us about it. Don't make it a surprise at the end that, oh, I decided to switch jobs. Like that's a huge part of your mortgage underwriting. Also, taking on new debt during the loan process. If you're taking out inquiries, doing new inquiries, or looking at getting loans, whether it be a car loan, a personal loan, credit card, anything – They're going to do a final credit check typically before closing. It's going to come up. You're going to have to explain yourself. The last one's just failing to respond to lender requests. If we ask you for something, get it to us within 24, 48 hours. All right. So are these strategies or maybe do you have any best practices that can actually help maybe speed up the mortgage process? And I only have about uh, about a minute and a half. So. So you want to be prepared with all your documents. So have your pay stubs, W-2s, bank statements, tax returns, all that stuff. Work with a knowledgeable and responsible loan officer. Make sure you got someone who has top-notch reviews, comes highly recommended. That can help with this. And then choose a lender that's using an efficient technology platform and has efficient processes. That's it. How does technology fit into all of this? Technology is huge and it's getting more by the day. So like a lot of other industries are already adapting automa- uh, artificial intelligence and things right. like that. Mortgage is just starting that. So right now what we're doing is automated income verification, automated asset verification. So we can pull information from different places in many cases. That'll save you a lot of time of having to get us paperwork. Online loan application. So, hey, you can fill it out on your phone or on your computer without having to talk to anyone if you want to do that, which a lot of people do. Electronic signatures. You don't have to print stuff and sign. You can electronically. And last thing is secure portals. I use Flowify secure portal. There's a lot of different ones. That's where you can upload your docs and track your loan status. All right, really quickly, I need a short answer on this. Looking ahead, what what are you seeing? What are you forecasting? What trends are shaping the future of mortgage continued automation, continued integration of technology. That's going to be big over the next couple of years. Streamlining regulatory requirements. You know, mortgage is so heavily regulated. They're starting to, I don't want to say ease up, but they're starting to be a little more flexible to allow technology to take the place when it comes to some of this stuff. More flexible methods for appraisals. We talked about Fannie Mae. Uh, helping the property inspection waivers, helping with the appraisal waivers. I see more of that automation, especially with artificial intelligence. Imagine your home being appraised by a robot. That's the future, and it can happen in seconds instead of days or weeks. And fast turn times. We've seen mortgage turn times come down a lot. Now you can get a mortgage in a week or two. I've heard in a, a couple of years you can get a mortgage in a couple of days start to finish. While I like that. I don't like elimination of, of human jobs. That's the only part that scares me. Folks, if you'd like more information on this topic or any of the other topics that we discuss on this show, simply head online to www.rob, that's R-O-B-G-W.com. If you want to send an email to Rob, particularly if it pertains to this show, there is an email address that has been uh, set up just for this show. Maybe we can get your question answered on our airwaves. Simply email Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. 
com and that phone number to set up a meeting with Rob Weinberg is easy 860-413-3938 I'll repeat that for you one more time 860-413-3938 Rob Weinberg I'm Gary Byron thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast until next weekend have a good one everybody so long Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.